Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this edition of the Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast with me, your host, Frank Fleck. Now, a question I often get asked is, should I invest in freehold or leasehold property? (laughs) And I have heard many investors say, oh, you must only invest in freehold, leasehold, you don't own the land beneath the property, etc. And I've heard other investors say, actually, I specialize in leasehold and you can make really good money in it. So which is it? Should you buy just freehold? Should you buy just leasehold? Should you buy a bit of both and have a bit of diversity? Well, those of you that listen to this podcast and have done for years will know that my answer is likely to be a bit of both because diversity spreads your risk. Diversity gives you a safer, more stable portfolio. And you would be right. Absolutely. I have no problem with buying leasehold property, but it definitely comes with more risks. And we'll come on to those in a few minutes. When you approach any deal, it's important not to look at the area that the property's in, not to look at the type of tenants you're going to get, not to look at the type of property. Is it a three-story property? Is it a single-story bungalow? Is it a garage? Is it a commercial building? None of that should be your top priority. Now, of course, all of that is relevant. Absolutely. None of that should be your top priority. In my opinion, your top priority is does it stack up as a deal? Now, what is the definition of a deal? Well, for me, it boils down to does it give me cash every month? Is it cash flow positive? Taking a leaf out of Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad's book. And do I control the asset forever. Now, if I control the asset forever or have the option to control it forever and it's cash flow positive, now that's a really good start for me and it's likely that's going to stack up as a deal. The other consideration is what is the return on investment? So what is the return on the cash that I've put into the deal? Because if I put a million pounds in and it makes me a hundred pounds a year, yes, technically it's cash flow positive. If I've bought the property freehold, then yes, I own the asset forever, but that's a really, really bad return on investment. So we need to keep a very BDI on return on investment. But if those three are ticked, so it's a good return on investment. And for me, good is three years to get my money out, two years to get my money out, one year to get my money out. So working in that order, 33% ROI, 50% cash on cash return on investment, 100% return on investment. And I'm not that fussed if I'm in that ballpark, depending on how much money I'm putting into the deal. Now, if I'm putting £100,000 into a deal, then I'm going to prefer it to be towards 12 months rather than 36 months. If I'm putting in five grand into a deal, then if it's going to take me 48 months to get my money out and that five grand has secured me a £100,000 discount, then I'm less worried about getting my £5,000 out. So it's not a hard and fast rule, but those are the three considerations. So if you take those three considerations into your analysis of a leasehold property, well, now you're evaluating the deal based on what's important. Do you have the opportunity, the right to control that property forever? Well, yes, you do. 
even though it's a leasehold and perhaps you're buying it with a short leasehold, you have a guaranteed right to renew that lease. You must, must, must get your lawyers to look at this, make sure they report to you on the title that you are able to renew the lease and the cost of renewing that lease. Now, if it's a 999 year lease, and it's dropped down to 950 years, that's gonna cost you very little to extend by 50 years. However, if it is a 99 year lease and it has dropped to 49 years, the cost of increasing that lease by 50 years, reinstating it to the 99 years, is gonna be quite significant compared to the value of the property. And the reason for that is if it's got 49 years to run, at the end of those 49 years, the freeholder is going to get the flat from you. They're going to pick up the keys. It's going to be theirs. And so you're almost having to buy half of that flat back. So that's why. And there's a formula. You can Google it and find the actual formula for how much it is to extend leases. So that's the first thing you need to be checking. How long is left on the lease? How long is it going to be mortgageable for? So mortgage lenders do not want to lend. If you've got a 10-year remaining on your lease, you're not going to get a 20-year mortgage on it for obvious reasons. But you might think you've got 40 years left on the lease and you'd like to get a 10-year mortgage. Well, you're probably going to struggle with that as well. And you might think, well, why? It's because the value of that property, that leasehold property, is going to be significantly less after 10 years and mortgage lenders want to know that the value that they're lending against is not going to deteriorate that it's going to if anything appreciate so you need to be very aware of the length of lease but because others are so fearful of short leases it can actually be an opportunity i actually agreed to purchase a property that had previously sold for 120,000 pounds and i agreed to buy it about 6 years later for £15,000. Now, you might think, how on earth did I do that? Well, it was a beautiful, stunning holiday home. It was freehold. And you might now be thinking, why are you talking about a freehold property that you bought for something like 8% of its value six years earlier in a discussion about leasehold? Well, it was the same principle. This whole development was falling into the sea. It was quite high up on a cliff. No one knew quite why, but actually I looked into it and subsequently it turned out that a factory had a leak in a massive pipe and it was filling this cliff with water and the cliff was clay. And so the cliff was gradually sliding into the sea. It's unbelievable if you think about it. But there were trees falling into the sea. And this property that I'd agreed to purchase was the closest one to the sea. I actually went back about two or three years later and it had been demolished by um, HSE, Health and Safety Executive. Now, you might think to yourself, well, why were you interested in buying that, Frank? Well, and why was the vendor interested in selling? Well, they knew it was going to fall into the sea. It was empty and they had already had a pay, an insurance payout for the value of the property. It had been given a nil valuation, but they still owned it. So I was happy to pay 15 and I was going to operate it as a holiday let. I was going to use it myself. It had stunning 180 degree views, beautiful sea views. You could walk down the, the cliff to the beach. And I figured 15 grand for a beautiful holiday home that I could make more than 15,000 pounds on in those two years was a good investment. Now that did break rule number two that I can control it forever. It's an asset I can control forever because now I'm going to lose it. But you can see the similarity to a short leasehold flat. 
someone might say, I'd never buy a flat with five years leasehold on it. Well, you might get an amazing three bedroom duplex in the middle of Mayfair for a fraction of what you would pay to buy it ordinarily if it's only got five years left on the lease. So there are always exceptions to the rule and a short leasehold flat or property is not necessarily a bad investment so long as you know your numbers, so long as you know what you're buying. So length of leasehold is an important one. Secondly, you need to look really carefully at not the ground rent and the service charge in terms of what's being charged, which is what most people do. They do a cash flow analysis and go, oh, they're really low, I can make good money. It's what is allowed to be charged within the lease. And you need to look really carefully and get a lawyer to look at these provisions because what often happens is a developer will hang on to the lease until he's sold all the properties. He'll hang on to all the leases as the freeholder until he sold all of his properties and then he'll sell the freehold to a company that is designed to make profit from holding lots of freeholds. I made this mistake all about 12 years ago. I bought a freehold property. It had previously sold for I think 110,000. I picked it up eight years later for 60. And if that doesn't show you to be fearful of new build properties, then I don't know what does. That's how much depreciation some of these flats can see. Now, the flat hadn't depreciated, by the way, by 50 odd percent. The flat had depreciated to perhaps 80 thousand pounds, which is still quite a lot of depreciation, 115 down to 80,000. Um, that's a good 25, 30% depreciation. Just doing that off the top of my head. But I then bought it 25% below what I had valued it at, which was the 60K. So you do need to be careful of these agreements because I thought that was a steal. I thought it was a brilliant deal, but actually the service company have made that not such a good deal. They've consistently put up the service charge every year to the point that I'm more worried about what their service charge is going to be in a given year rather than my mortgage's interest rate. And it's just the control and how clever some of these companies are. They put a little charge in for this and they put a little charge in for this and, a, and they're very good. They have their own maintenance teams, but they make a markup on those maintenance teams. Those maintenance teams charge really high rates. So it all adds into this service charge and ground rent. So you might be thinking, oh, I'm going to steer clear of this. Well, no, you don't have to steer clear of it. You just have to be aware of it. I definitely be very mindful of buying any properties where there's a chance that a leasehold professional company are going to buy it or going to or already own the, the, the freehold. So that's the first thing. Really important to be aware of the freehold, who owns it, what's likely to happen to it. Now, those of you that listen to the podcast regularly will know that I bought 26 leasehold properties last year. You might think, well, clearly you like leasehold properties, Frank. But here's the difference. I bought five buildings with the freeholds of those buildings that had already been turned into 26 leasehold flats. So basically, I bought five buildings that had been turned into 26 leasehold flats but I also bought the five freeholds. So I actually bought 31 titles. Now, in that instance, there's no risk, no problem at all, because I own the flats. If anything, the five buildings would have been worth far less as single properties than having split them up into little 
flats. I can now get 26 mortgages on those 26 flats for a far greater amount than I could get five mortgages for five buildings. And that's the key, guys. That's the absolute key is to understand what you're buying. If you control the freeholds, then it could be better to buy a property. The same property is split into leaseholds than it is to buy them as as freeholds. So really, really important. Now, the other types of freeholds, and there, there are many, and I'm by no means an expert at this, but I, I've bought quite a few now. It's a very organic freehold. In fact, uh, I'm buying a property at the moment where there are 11 houses on a private estate and the driveway and also some woodland as it happens is owned by a management company. And the management company is made up of six shareholders, uh, sorry, 11 shareholders and the 11 shareholders are the 11 property owners. So if you think about it, that's kind of, that's not like you don't have a landlord there. You just, as a cooperative, manage the driveway and the woodland. And that is how some freeholds are created. I own two flats in a building where there are four flats in total. The other two flats are owned by two separate people. One's an investor, one's an owner-occupier, and I own two flats. We have created a freehold in that building. When I bought those two flats, there was no freehold. We've created a freehold. We've split the flats into four leasehold flats, and I own two leasehold flats, and each of them own a leasehold flat. But there's no ground rent, and there's no service charge. In fact, there might be a one-pound peppercorn a year ground rent that you know we don't actually pay but the service charge there's no ongoing service charge we just have written into the leasehold if any maintenance needs doing then each flat will contribute 25 percent to that maintenance amount so it's a very organic arrangement yes there's the chance of a friction you know what if the roof needs doing and one of the flat owners doesn't want to pay for the roof, but it is written into the company in its articles of association, etc. So you do have some legal recourse, but I would much prefer that situation rather than the profiteering management company who's doing this over thousands and thousands of flats and they're just a money-making machine. Because in the small freehold where I'm involved, yes, I might have to you know, have a conversation with the other owners, every year or every six months but no one's making any profit i'm actually only paying if i owned the whole building i would proportionately still pay the same amount for my two flats so that's a frequent situation which i wouldn't be afraid of if i was buying two flats in a ha- in a building where there's two other flats that's fine with me i'd probably be a bit more reluctant if there were 20 flats and there were 20 shareholders in the company that's going to be a bit harder to get stuff through and to you know there's going to be meetings and stuff but i still wouldn't be that put off necessarily especially if i could just buy five flats or something and you know be the majority shareholder um, i'm always looking by the way at can i buy if i'm buying one or two in a block can i buy all of them all of them because now i can control the block now i can you know put new carpets in i can put new windows in i can make the block much nicer I can raise the value of all of the flats in in the middle of it. I can improve the maintenance of it. I can get some of the rubbish tenants out and increase the standard of tenants in the building. So I'm always looking for how I can add value, how I can 
increase the value of what I'm buying. The final type of leasehold arrangement is a shared freehold. And if I'm honest, this is my least favorite. I've bought a few of these. Some of them I've successfully split into leaseholds and some of them I've not managed to build enough relationship with the other owners to create a leasehold arrangement. So a flying freehold is basically where you own your flats in a building, but no one owns the freehold. The freehold kind of just is shared between them all. And it's, it's sometimes called a flying freehold, sometimes called a shared freehold, sometimes called oh, all manner of things. So in this instance, you have to have a really clear plan of what you're going to do with the property. Now, I bought a £80,000 flat for £32,000 about eight years ago. The cost of that 30, it was, it's unmortgageable unless you have a solid leasehold with a, a clear freeholder, no mortgage company is going to lend to you. So I picked this up really cheap because it didn't have a freehold and the vendor really wanted to sell quickly and there's very few people that can buy cash. So I picked it up at £32,000. At the time, it was worth about eighty with the flying freehold. That has actually risen now to 120,000. So, you know, my 32 is now quadrupled in value, which is a pretty good return over that short period of time. But if I could split that into leasehold, it would probably add another 40,000, maybe a bit more actually on top again. But I haven't managed to do that. But if you look at it, you think, well, I've had a positive return off it because I've rented it out. That property has rented for around 350, 375 pounds for the entire time I've had it. And I only put 32,000 pounds of someone else's money into that building. So if I was paying 5% return on that, that would be... £1,500 a month, that's about £150 a month in mortgage. I would have paid my letting agent 30 quid. There's probably been £100, £150 per month profit on that property. Some of the owners of the flats have actually changed in that time. There's only four flats and I own one of them. And some of the owners have actually changed over that time. So it's possible I could go and have another sit down with them and try and build enough rapport to create a leasehold. That is entirely possible because what would happen is for just four or five thousand pounds in fees split between the the, five, the four of us, we would all see that capital growth in in the flat. So now that I think of it, I might do that. I might have another crack at it just before I uh, I choose to sell it, if I do choose to sell it. Because the other thing is, as soon as you get that leasehold in place, it's now mortgageable. So I could actually keep the flat and go and get a mortgage of 70 odd, 80, maybe even 90,000 pounds on that flat, which would pay off my 32,000 pound mortgage and give me a chunk of cash that I can go buying property with. So leasehold is definitely not something to avoid but i would say it's worth being cautious about buying it cautious is probably the word there's more work to do often a conveyancer will charge you more for a leasehold purchase than for a freehold purchase because there's more to check there's more stuff to look into more agreements to check namely the ground rent and the shared accesses and the service charges and maintenance procedures etc but definitely definitely worth looking at and also worth looking at your freehold properties whether you can make more money on a monthly basis 
and on a capital basis and on a refinance basis by splitting the property into different titles. I've got a commercial building that I bought some years ago now. I received planning permission to convert it into residential and I have now split that into four different residential leaseholds. I've now converted that into four different residential units, but haven't yet converted the title. So I'm operating it as four different dwellings. I am letting it out as four different dwellings. But if I wanted to refinance that, if I wanted to sell it, I can then just go to the lawyers, create a freehold for the development, create four separate leaseholds, and either refinance them or sell them off. So it's important for you to realize that you can create leaseholds, you can buy leaseholds and turn them back to freeholds, or you can buy leaseholds and maintain them as leaseholds. There's lots and lots of opportunities to, in a sophisticated manner, create more income for yourself, create more value for yourself in dealing in leaseholds because there are more moving levers. And when there are more levers to move, there's more opportunity to create value. When there are more levers to move, that will put people off. I know loads of investors that won't touch leasehold. Well, that means there's less buyers of leasehold. Currently, there's a lot of people who won't buy high rise flats because of the Grenfell Tower disaster and the fallout from that, which was lots of mortgage lenders won't still lend on high rise flats. So that once again makes an opportunity because lots of people don't want to buy a leasehold and lots of people won't buy cash and lots of people who have cash won't buy cash when they can't get a mortgage right now on those properties. But of course, if you do your research and find out about the grants that are available, find out about the levies that are being levied on new build developers and really become an expert into high rise flats with cladding, you might be able to carve out a niche for yourself where you buy those properties deliberately now below market value in the expectation that you can rent them out cash flow positive because rents haven't dropped on those flats. All that's dropped is the value of them, what people are willing to pay for them. So you can pick those up at five years ago, 10 years ago, maybe even further back prices. You can rent them out at today's prices. So your yields, your return on investments through the roof, and you might be confident that there will be a market in the future to either refinance them or to sell them on. And if you do your homework and you decide, yeah, that's worth me doing, then all of a sudden you have got a very profitable business on your hands. Or maybe you don't go all in. Maybe you think, do you know what? I think there's a good chance of that. So every 10th property I'm going to buy, I'm going to make sure it's in a high rise flat because I see there's going to be a big if uplift. There's going to be a big uplift in those prices in the near to medium future. And so I'm going to make sure I've got some some money on that. It's about spreading your risk. It's about being aware of opportunities. Over the next few years, there's going to be great opportunities to buy buy to let properties that have D, E, F and G ratings on their EPCs, especially D&E, because currently you can let D&Es out, but in, I think we've got five years, in five years time, you won't be able to. And I'll, I'll do a separate episode about this, a separate podcast about this. But I think being aware of those opportunities are massive. Guys, I hope this has educated you as to leasehold and how you can approach it. 
I hope it's piqued your interest in freehold and leasehold investing and how it can work for you and add value. And until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.